Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Our call to worship this morning was written by Reverend Kathleen McTeague. She writes, We come together this morning to remind one another to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives, to resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we claim for ourselves awareness and gratitude taking the time to look into one another's faces and see their communion, the reflection of our own eyes. This house of laughter and silence, memory and hope is hallowed by our presence together on this forming edge of our lives. Let us worship together. Good morning, beloveds. Thank you. Let's try that again. Good morning, beloveds. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Some of you know me, um, and for those who do, it probably won't come as a huge surprise to hear that I was a bit of a theater nerd in high school. I um, did musicals and and plays, and um, it was really what saved my life, and so when I showed up at college my first semester, um, out on the East Coast, away from home. I was desperately seeking something that felt both fun and familiar to me, and so I decided to audition for some shows. So the audition process at my university was called Common Casting, and it was this incredibly chaotic week (laughs) in which Every show that was going to go up on campus that semester held their auditions in one small building all week long. And you'd go, you would read the little blurbs about each play, and then you'd sign up your name on a little slot, and you would go to as many auditions as you wanted to go to. And most semesters, there were something like 20 or 30 different shows that were going on at a time. Never one to uh, underdo things. I was an overly eager freshman, and I decided, you know, what the heck, I didn't know how competitive the casting was going to be, or which shows were the most legitimate, and so my strategy was to try out for everything, and just see what stuck, right? I, I was game for anything, I thought. So, sometime in the middle of the week, like the third night, I'd been through 15 or 20 auditions at this point, and I walked through yet another audition door, there's a group of six or seven people sitting there, and one of them jumps up and says, Welcome to On Thin Ice Improv Comedy Troupe. Are you ready to play? Oh, God. (laughs) And, of course, I immediately panicked. I had seen, you know, improv comedy. I used to go to comedy sports over there in Uptown when I was in high school, and I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway on TV. But really all that that experience did was to make me realize how not funny and not improvisational I was, right? So (laughs) I stand there and I go, uh, sorry. Um, 
I didn't realize that this was an improv audition, and I, I just, I mean, I didn't, um, I actually wasn't planning on it, and I started slowly backing toward the door. <laughs> and they may have been drunk. It was the third, I mean, who knows? But they go, ah, oh, come on. We've been waiting here all night. We've only had five or six auditions, and there's no way you can suck any more than they did. <laughs> Listen, and even if improv really isn't your thing, it'll be a great, you know, great warm-up for your other auditions. And this is going to be more fun than anything else you do all night. Well, it sounded like going into a pit of snakes to me, but I was stuck. <laughs> so there I was. So, okay, quick question. How many of you have seen... Uh, improv comedy either on stage or on TV in some way. Okay, excellent. So, On Thin Ice did what was called short form improv comedy, which are short scenes that are made up on the spot by actors who are following a particular set of rules of any of a number of different kinds of games, okay? So they're games like shoulda said, when an actor will say a line like, I'm going to the store today. And the MC, there's always an MC, will clap and say, should have said, right? And the actor will have to make a new choice on the spot, and they'll have to say something, I'm going to the moon today. And the MC will clap again, should have said. Can you help me out? Here we go. Should have said, well, let's try it one more time. Should have said, I'm not going anywhere today. There's a Golden Girls marathon on, right? So there are also games like Musical Nightmare. The musical genre is really important in improv. So actors will be in the middle of a scene and the MC will, again, clap, freeze them, and then make them like sing a song based on the last line that they said in the genre of 1950s doo-wop or screamo or, you know, Fred Penner children's songs. And then there are games like Forward, backwards, plus, where the actors will create a short scene, the MC will ask them to play it back and forth, forwards and backwards, each time in a different genre, like daytime soap opera or foreign language monster movie or anime. <laughs> Easy, right? Yeah. Short form improv is very interactive, so usually the actors will ask the audience for the suggestion of a place. Give me a place. Hawaii, okay, I heard Hawaii. Um, how about a, uh, let's see, an object? Toenail, excellent. <laughs> how about an activity? Keep it clean, it's church. Skydiving, beautiful. Okay, so this is the kind of thing you would get warmed up. The MC's job is to get you warmed up. They also come up, of course, with the genres. And improv audiences like to think of themselves as very smart and very funny, and so often there are really ridiculous things that happen. So, of course, this all sounds very complicated, but if any of you have seen really good improv, it doesn't look complicated when they do it, right? It looks seamless. They're so good at it. All of these components come together, and these actors create hilarious, coherent scenes that follow all the rules, and they incorporate the suggestions brilliantly. So, as you can imagine, these things take a little while to master, right? You actually do have to have some skills, and the idea of not having those skills and being asked to do a scene feels a little overwhelming for somebody like me who's walking through the door for the first time of an improv audition. <laughs> so, long story short, that night I stumbled through some games with my very patient scene partners. 
I am very sure that I was not particularly funny, and I know that I was intensely nervous, but I did manage to bust out a few of my infamous accents, most of which I will spare you today. And <laughs> I worked pretty well with the other actors, and I survived. I ended up getting called back for a second audition, and ultimately I actually got cast along with two other freshmen and spent the next four years of my life doing improv comedy. I'm telling you this today because I have come to realize that for me, the experience of being trained in improvisational comedy is one of the most important skill sets that I have as a minister. I'd say it's more important than the courses I took in Unitarian Universalist history or theology or family systems theory or pastoral counseling, and I'm not kidding you. <laughs> but these lessons are not, in fact, just for ministers. You're not off the hook, friends. Uh, improv can give us some universal guidelines that could be healthy for us all to consider, and I want to suggest especially for congregations to consider. So, friends, this is my list of improv rules that I think could really be called all I really need to know I learned from short form improv. So here goes. Rule number one, always say yes. It's the first rule I learned. It's the one Ruth mentioned a moment ago. And the cardinal guideline that every improv expert will tell you is foundational to the practice. The idea is you're in an impromptu scene, and two or three people are trying to invent a reality out of nothing that will both make sense and be funny. And so saying yes offers your scene partners to the offers that your scene partners make is essential because it keeps those things moving forward, right? So I'm going to do a little exercise with you that I got from a TED talk uh, done by an improv comedian. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and all you have to do is say yes. Okay? So let's practice. One, two, three. Yes. One, two, three. Yes. I know this is hard for Unitarian Universalists because you don't know what I'm going to say in advance, but trust me, it's going to be okay. So here we go. Do you want to tell a story with me? Yes. Is it about a princess? Yes. A princess who's bored because her father, the king, won't let her have any adventures? Yes. Does she get bored with the, with the patriarchy and feudalism? Yes. Does she decide to escape the castle? Does she go into the forest? Yeah. Does she fight villains? Yeah. Does she befriend lovable misfits? Yeah. Does she learn deep truths about herself and reality? Yeah. Does she return home wiser and happier than she was when she left? Yeah. And does she reign over her kingdom happily ever after? Yeah. Oh, excellent. We did that together, friends. So we're gonna do that again, but this time I want you to say no to whatever I say, okay? You want to tell a story with me? No. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, though, the point of this idea, as Dave Morris says in this TED Talk, is a series of yeses takes us somewhere. A series of noes doesn't even get started. So let's think about it outside of the improv context. Let's say you're sitting in a board meeting or a task force meeting, and you're talking about how to solve some big nagging problem. Think about the difference between the conversation in which everyone tries on each idea that is proposed, we explore it together, we see how it might be implemented, we see where we are together, we create reality together. Now think of that 
versus the conversation in which everybody's always saying, nope, that's not what's going on, or no, nah, that's not going to work, or no, we don't have time to talk about that. I'm sure none of you have ever been in that meeting, have you? <laughs> Which of these meetings has more creative possibilities? Obviously, it's the one with the series of yeses, right? More opportunities for building relationships, finding out-of-the-box solutions for complex problems. Which then brings us to the second rule we can learn from improv, and of course, it's the add-on to rule number one. So we always say yes and. So imagine this scene, and I'm sorry, here come the accents. Hooey, it's a scorcher out there, isn't it, ma'am? Why, yes, Claude, and I forgot my parasol. Yes, and here we are in the middle of the desert on this stagecoach with nary a shade tree in sight. Yes, and with more than 100 miles to go till we reach Gilly Gulch. Yes, and if we get there and your delicate skin's as wrinkled as a lizard's rear end, your fiancé, Sheriff Barker, is going to kill me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so you see what happened there? That was six lines of dialogue, poorly performed by one person. But you've got a very clear idea of what's going on, right? We've got two characters, you know who they are, you know what the conflict is, you know what their relationship is. And you know all of that because each character's line started with, yes, and, absolutely. They affirmed the reality that the other person created, and then they added something new. So the final product ends up being robust and vivid and creative and collaborative. So now imagine this scene. Hooey, it's a scorcher out there, ma'am. No, it's not. It's 42 degrees and I'm a dude. <laughs> right? You see my point? <laughs> in improv, like in real life, if people are more invested in being in control than in cooperating, in making their ideas dominate than in hearing all the interesting suggestions in a room, or more interested in being right than in being collaborative, all the creative scenarios that the group might come up with just die on the vine, right? So think about it this way, congregational context. Let's say that you are on the task force that has been charged with figuring out how to revamp and reinvigorate the uh, hospitality program, or if I'm looking at you. So let's, no pressure, yeah. Somebody's sitting around and you're saying, let's reimagine our new member classes, specifically thinking about how we orient and welcome single people, young adults, people of color, people with disabilities. Now think about how differently the meeting goes if you reply yes and let's also work on a mentorship program that pairs longtime members with those in their first year of church versus if you say, no, the class is fine as it is. We should do my idea instead, right? What's the difference? It, it really changes things when you add the ant. Which, of course, brings us to rule number three, which is that the success of the scene or the failure of the scene is shared by everybody. There's this legendary improv story about Joan Rivers uh, many, many years ago. Now, Joan Rivers, um, for those of you who might not know her, was a, a very famous stand-up comedian, right? And stand-up is a very, very different thing than improv. 
That form is based on individual humor and pre-written jokes, and it does not rely on other people to participate in a back-and-forth creative process. So one time, Joan Rivers came to the famous Second City Theater in Chicago, one of the hotbeds of improv in the United States. And she was doing a scene with this veteran improv comedian, and her partner started the scene saying, honey, our baby is sick. And Joan retorts, we don't have a baby. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. The audience laughed for a second, but then what? Right? There's nowhere to go from there. The scene partner doesn't trust her, the audience doesn't know what's happening, and both actors on stage are in two different realities. So Joan got her laugh in that moment, but the scene was dead. She had abandoned her partner, and by the end, everyone, including Joan Rivers, was desperate to get off the stage. A successful scene in improv is one that produces stars out of everybody who's in the scene. It's not one in which actors compete against each other for who can get the most one-liners in. It's not one that switches realities depending on who's talking. A successful scene is one where the players set each other up and everyone gets their share of laughs. Successful scenes pay attention to the cues that the actors are giving to each other and they say yes to the offers the partners are making. It's a scene where actors help one another when a joke bombs, which inevitably one or two will do. And it's a scene where together, that weaving back and forth in this highly attuned, perceptive dance of word and action and gesture, the actors create an entire coherent world out of nothing. Everyone adding detail and creating together something greater than any one actor could have imagined alone. And at the end of a successful scene, the audience wonders, how did they do that? Are you sure there wasn't a script? They were so good. So imagine if we interacted like this in our families, our jobs, our churches. What if we spent our time practicing surrendering to the currents of the group's energy, contributing and listening and creating a shared reality together? If we were satisfied with the end project, product, the magical feeling of a successful idea or venture, rather than demanding that we receive individual credit for our part in it. At its best, improv is a model for a spiritually mature life. It reminds us to say yes as much as we possibly can, to always try to contribute something to the communal venture of building our shared reality. To remember that our success or our failure is inextricably intertwined with that of every other person sharing the stage of life with us. Improv pushes us to take risks and push our comfort zones. It assures us that if we fail, the scene will be over soon enough and we'll get to try again. And it reminds us that failing doesn't make you a failure. Improv reminds us to listen deeply to the cues that other people give us, to be keenly aware that nobody can carry a scene by themselves. And perhaps most importantly, it reminds us that satisfaction and joy do not come from doing everything right, or having a definite plan, or being the most skilled person in the room. 
Rather, satisfaction and joy come when we relax, when we have fun, when we trust one another along the way, trust that we're headed somewhere meaningful together, when we risk trusting one another along the way and surrender ourselves with our whole beings, we find the magic of collaboration, imagination, laughter. So whether or not any of us will find ourselves on a real improv stage in the near future, may we all find time to play, to surrender, to co-create, to laugh, to say yes, and. May it be so. Blessed be, ashe, amen, and seen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.